Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. Our first lesson comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 16 to 21. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out of the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams and in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading for the day is from the Gospel of John. We are in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. That is 12, 1 through 8. This is Mary anointing Jesus' feet. Listen again with fresh ears. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii, and the money given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept a common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. When the crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we've talked about the power of fragrance, the power of odor, and how it is connected into our brains, how we can smell certain things, and it takes us back to certain moments in our lives. They say that taste is 95% smell, 
And that if you remember being a child and you had to eat your vegetables sometime, you would plug your nose and stick the peas or the broccoli down in that way. Because if you're not smelling it, you're not getting as much as, it's an easier road to choke down. For me, there are several positive smells, which is what we're talking about, positive, that I can relate to my family. My mom, who was waning in her life, was a wonderful cook. I was a picky eater, and I didn't get it until I was in young adulthood, and then it was mostly too late. But I remember the smells. She used to make a variety of things that we shared, especially on those important days, Thanksgiving, Christmas, family reunions. One of the things I always remembered were her yeast rolls. These were Sister Schubert before Sister Schubert. Before her was Mama Lori, that's my mom. Those beautiful little buttered rolls and the metal tins. And I figured it out, so I made sure at each of these gatherings, I was the one who just casually asked if I could take the rolls in. Because if you sit down and you start them, they're going to go around and they're going to come back and sit right in front of you. So I figured out that you can only take about three before eyebrows start to raise and you start to look like some kind of pig. So you take your three initially and then it comes all the way around and then it sits right there. And so throughout the meal, you can just grab another and butter it, grab another. I swear 70% of every meal I had was all those buttered rolls. So when I smell that, it takes me back. I remember grilled hot dogs in chili, cornbread, and jalapeno cheese grits for 4th of July. For my dad, who died in February, back in the 70s when it wasn't so abominable, he smoked a pipe outside. But I remember that sweet cherry tobacco smell. And every once in a while, he would smoke a cigar out on the back porch, and I would go sit with him, and we would chat and watch the sun go down until it was pitch black, and all I could see is that ember when he drew in a breath at the end of his cigar. Do not smoke or vape. It will kill you. I'm obliged to say that in this message. But those smells take me back, associate good and faithful and loving memories. In this passage, it's exactly what Mary is doing with Jesus. Now, we are in the 12th chapter of John, and what has happened just prior to this is that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. John is the only gospel that carries this story, but it's the one that does Jesus in without a shadow of doubt in John's gospel. People had seen Jesus doing miracles and teachings and knew something was different. But when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he did something no one else can do. Bring someone back to life. It was so amazing that the Pharisees, Sadducees, the temple leadership all said to each other, they're abandoning us and they're going to believe in Jesus. We have to not just kill Jesus, but we have to kill Lazarus as well. Wipe out any trace that this ever happened. It was the act that caused all the people 
who were there and heard to come and follow Jesus and especially be there for Palm Sunday next week for the big parade triumphal entry that we will celebrate. Most of that is related or much of that is related to Lazarus being raised and the buzz that that generated. This isn't just somebody who may have pulled out a bunch of bread and fish from his robe and pretend like it multiplied. It wasn't somebody who may have walked on the side of the boat. Maybe there was a plank there. It was all maybe an elaborate charade. You couldn't bring somebody back from the dead who had been dead four days. Four days. He had started to decay. The King James says, and you can remember this and share the scripture with your friends, he stinketh. Siblings, parents, however you want to use that, that scripture, he stinketh because he was dead four days and was starting to decay when Christ brought him back to life so that no one could deny that he was number one dead and number two brought back to life. So a pivotal and important moment in John's gospel for Jesus. Now this is Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They are in a town called Bethany. It is two miles outside of Jerusalem. And the case is made again and again that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were friends that were considered family to Jesus. Think about it. From the time that Jesus came back to Nazareth as an adult and proclaimed in the synagogue that I am the fulfillment of the one who was to come and set the captives free, read the Isaiah scroll, rolled it up, sat down. It has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then they turn on him chase him out to a cliff and try to kill him. From that moment, Jesus doesn't go home or can't stay there. He's on the go all throughout the rest of his ministry. But one constant was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in the town of Bethany. Because it was so close to Jerusalem, he would come for the significant festival events where they were required to come to Jerusalem. So we think that it is the one place that Jesus was secure and felt like home and family with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And this Mary is not Mary, Jesus' mother. It is not Mary Magdalene. It is Mary of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We hear of them earlier in Luke's gospel, Luke 10, with the story that they are similarly there for a dinner, and the duality comes between Martha and Mary. Martha's in the kitchen trying to be a good host in hospitality, which was a big deal in that culture at that time, even more so than in the South. And she was making her sister Schubert rolls in the back. And she said, Jesus, can I have a little help from Mary? She's just sitting there listening to you. And Jesus says, no, she's, Mary's doing the right thing. She's with me. I won't be here forever. She needs to be with me while we can. So it's the same two, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in John. If you remember the raising of Lazarus, Mary and Martha both cried and wept. And Jesus himself wept before he came and raised Lazarus. So they are similarly gathered at a dinner, and this story is told in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic Gospels because they're more similar. John floats a little bit off to himself, but this is one that they all four tell. So they're at dinner, all gathered, and Lazarus is there. What does he look like? What does he smell like? I bet he stinketh no more. 
but he's there. Doesn't say anything in this story. So many things I want to ask Lazarus, but not the point of this. So they're there having dinner. When Mary goes and brings back this jar with a seal, pops the seal, opens it up, fragrance comes out. It's like a big jar of perfume, but it's a pound of this stuff. A pound. And starts to wash Jesus' feet with it. Think of it as perfume. Fills the house. She takes down her hair and washes his feet with it. Several taboos have already been broken. Mainly that a woman is talking to who many consider a rabbi. That she would touch him directly, especially his feet. If this is some kind of anointing, the precedent has been for anointing of the head. Do you remember when King David was anointed? It was on his head, and there are psalms about the oil dripping down the beard. You don't see any about feet. Feet, feet are gross. Feet were grosser in that day. And she takes that, and she goes and washes his feet. Takes down her hair, another taboo. Women did not do that. That was inappropriate. That was a sign of intimacy. Hair was always up. And it came down in this intimate act of washing his feet. To which Judas says, are you kidding me? Do you know how much money that cost? And this stuff is called nard or spike nard. Just fun to say. I had a bad case of the nard. No, it's not that. It is a perfume. My research says that it was from India, and you would take grass, and you would press the liquid, the juice out of that, and the liquid would come out and solidify, and that was made into this perfume. And then, with no Amazon Prime, it has to get to the Holy Land. That was costly stuff. About a year's worth of wages, a denarii about, is a day's wage, 300 denarii, close to a year's worth. That is a lot of money. And Judah says, do you know what we could have done with that? Do you know how many mouths we could have fed? Do you know how much clothes we could have clothed people with? Food, housing? But John doesn't want to let Judas off the hook. So in parentheses, he says, to paraphrase, uh, Judas is not a good guy or asking a good question because he is a thief, and he's only upset that the money wasn't in his bag. He was the treasurer for the group and that he couldn't steal from it. So John makes sure that we know that Judas is slimy. And so he says, we could have, do you know, understand how many people we could have fed? And Jesus says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. She's anointing my body for my burial. She is doing what needs to be done. Leave her alone. And it's not a bad question that Judas asked. And it's not the question that we need to be judgmental on Judas about. We might ask the same question. Let's say in a year, our budget is roughly $900,000-ish. Let's say our amazing 
finance chair, Sally Haddon, goes out, takes $900,000, and gets a gold communion table made because it will help her worship God more closely. Would there be some raised eyebrows? Our whole yearly budget? Well, of course there would. Judas asking the question is not the part with which we are disappointed. It's that Judas asks the question, Jesus responds, and Judas still doesn't hear and doesn't trust Jesus. Jesus responds and says, here's the situation, let her be. And Judas doesn't hear and continues to go on his destructive path. One thing for us is to ask, how do we respond to what Christ tells us? It is not in our questions that I think we can be offensive to God or Christ or the Holy Spirit. Questions are positive and a good thing. It is that when we discuss and get some answer, we still don't respond and we still push it aside. So Mary's anointing Jesus because he won't have the proper chance to be properly buried. If you remember on Good Friday, he dies about three in the afternoon. And sundown is when Jewish Sabbath begins. So all that work would have to have been done by sundown. So they only had a few hours. They quickly dressed him and improperly but quickly anointed him with the oils and spices that was typical, but didn't have time to do the full dressing. So they put him in the tomb, seal it. It's why they come back Sunday morning, because they need to finish dressing that body. So Sabbath over at sundown Saturday night, but they weren't going to go in the darkness to do this work. So what's the next day? Sunday morning. So that's when they come to finish the work that they didn't have time to finish on Good Friday to anoint him with all these spices. So he doesn't get the proper burial, the proper anointing. And so Jesus says, point blank, she's doing it here right now. Let her do it. Let her do it. There is a sense of extravagance about the gospel of John. If you remember at the wedding at Cana, 180 gallons of wine Jesus turned from water. 180 gallons. Two, three wedding parties couldn't drink all of that. If you remember John's feeding of the 5,000, there were 12 baskets of leftovers. 12! If you remember when Jesus rose and Peter, who had been befuddled by his death, ran out to what he knew best. He was a fisherman. He went back out to fish. He was there all morning. Then sees the resurrected Christ without knowing it's him. And Jesus and hadn't caught a fish. Jesus says, try the net on the other side. Peter says, oh, good, thanks. I've been out this all night. He says, do it. He did it. 153 large fish jumped in the net. Excessive, abundant Christ. And this is no different. Sometimes it is okay to be extravagant, but it's not just financial. It is the way that we give ourselves and worship Christ. And while this is a great stewardship focus, it's not about the money. Mary wasn't about the money. She was about giving all that she had to worship and celebrate the presence of this Christ whom she seemed to know more than anybody else. 
was going to die on her behalf. She may have been one of the only ones to more fully understand before the resurrection. So how do we live in abundance? Give more money, that's what the preacher says. Well, no. It's about abundantly living in the gifts that you have been given and sharing that with those who are in need, whether that's spiritually, whether that's physically. There's a story about a Native American tribe who live in the south of the United States. They bump up against this river with a deadly current. They can't ever cross the river. They can fish along the sides. They can swim in the first couple of feet, but no one has been able to make it across the river and survive. Soon a neighboring warring tribe comes to them. They are outnumbered, they are outmatched, and they are trapped with the river behind them. What do they do? They get together and they think we have to cross the river. Now, many would say the strong should go and take a shot and get across. Maybe we lose some, maybe some get across. Leave the weak, leave the children, leave the injured, leave those who would not be considered worldly strong. But they decide they can't do that. These are their families, their children, their parents, their siblings. So they decide that everyone who is physically strong would take one or two, depending on the size, of a child and in a sick person onto their back, and they will try to walk across the stream. And what they found was that because they put the extra weight on their shoulders, it rooted them down into the ground and weighed them down enough that they could walk across and not be affected by the current. So without even knowing it or anticipating it, because they took on the needs literally and physically of someone else, they saved their own lives and made it across the river. One of the messages today is that to live extravagantly is to share the blessings that we have been given so that we would live abundantly and not as people of scarcity where fear and lack of everything controls and keeps us from growth and celebration in our life, but rather that we would take what we have been given and that when we help others, it weighs us down, it roots us in the stream that is our life, that we can face that current even more strongly. We are that connected to those in need in our community, in our lives, in this room. So as we go forth today into this fifth week of Lent, remind yourselves that our God is a God of abundance and extravagance, not financially, but of love, compassion, light, and joy, and that it is when we take on those who need help and need to hear that word that our own life is rooted more clearly and we can navigate to see the purpose and the meaning that much more clear. Hallelujah. Amen.